and welcome to Cancer Casually. I'm your host, Lindsay DeLong, and I'm the managing editor of The Fullest. I was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 33 when my boyfriend found a lump and made me go get it checked out. A year and a half later, I'm now cured, healthy, and can kinda talk about it all without crying. Each week, I interview inspiring survivors who have come out on the other side of cancer or who are still battling it. We'll talk about our lives before, during, and after cancer and share what we've learned so that our listeners can look at their own lives through a new perspective, whatever that may be. Here's not just how to live with cancer, but how to be there for someone and how to cope as a co-survivor, because it's not just a disease that affects you, it affects everyone around you. With this podcast, we hope to inspire others to grasp life, no matter what comes at you, and always live it to the fullest. Hi, everyone. Today, I am here with fitness instructor Lauren Chiarello. She was 23 when she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, an avid runner. She went through chemo and treatment all the while maintaining her active lifestyle. However, six months into remission, right before she was to race in a half marathon, she found another lump and entered the grueling treatment process yet again. Nine years later, she's now a cancer advocate that helps people stay fit and fundraise for events. Hello. Thanks for coming. (laughs) Hello. Thank you for having me. So special to be here. Yeah, this is amazing. So getting to it, you were 23 when you first got diagnosed. What was that like? And how did you know something was wrong? Mm. Or did you know something was wrong? Yeah. Well, I didn't know it was as extreme as cancer. That's for sure. So I, my biggest symptom was itchy skin. So Uh severely itchy skin, my belly itch, my arms itch, my legs, and there was just no rash. There was no dry skin. There was no rash. And I was like, okay, this is bizarre. I'm a little confused what's going on. And it was to the point where it was really distracting me at work. So after a couple months, I motivated myself to get to a dermatologist. And during the appointment there, I was talking with her about the itchy skin. And then toward the end, I told her about a lump above my collarbone that I had felt was getting bigger. And I didn't know if it was in my mind or if I was going a little crazy, but it was something that um, I felt like I wanted to mention, even though I thought maybe it was kind of out of her line of work or expertise. And later on, she told me that she was pretty sure that I had Hodgkin's lymphoma after feeling the lump in the large lymph node um, right above the collarbone. So she had followed up with me that next week to make sure I went to a general practitioner to get just like blood work, chest x-ray. And then from there, I went to um, a series of more doctors to eventually lead to the diagnosis of Hodgkin's lymphoma. Wow. Is itchy skin a side of factor is that so it's a symptom symptom. yeah yeah so so it is so I had um I had stage 2a and there's also b so it's um an indication of a symptoms b symptoms is like extreme weight loss and night sweats and so for me uh being a stage 2a that a category itchy skin is one of the indicators. Oh, wow. And so what was your treatment plan like from that first time? Yeah. So I went for a second opinion and, you know, wanted to make sure I was 
getting all the information yeah. that I could. And it was six months chemotherapy, 12 treatments. It was every other week. I would go get my chemotherapy before work. Um, that was luckily like a few blocks away from where I, where my office was and, uh, and then took the following Monday off and basically had like every other Monday off for about six months to recover during the treatment. And, uh, so only yeah. you were recovering on the weekends yeah, and yeah, living a normal life in the yeah. week. Wow. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think just being so young, I just wanted life to keep moving on. Yeah. And uh, definitely as the treatment wore on, I had more and more fatigue. And, you know, uh, in April, like it was January through June, my treatments. And in April, there was a time where my counts were really low and I got an infection, was in the hospital for a week. So that kind of, you know, was a little bump during the treatment plan. But uh, yeah, overall, it was... Um, yeah, it was tough. I mean, like I lost my hair um, and fatigue, nausea, all that stuff that comes along with it. But uh, yeah, kind of made it through on that end and was in remission. And I had a, during that time, a few friends were thinking, how could I help? You know, what could, what could we do here? So they motivated themselves to run, um, train and run for their first ever marathon. And they raised money for cancer research and advocacy programs with a program called Team in Training for Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And they motivated me to try to train for my first half marathon. And so that fall, I trained for about four months. Yeah, and, Were you already yeah, a runner? A bit. I mean, I, I had never done a long distance as, mm -hmm. as long of a distance as a half marathon, but I I did, I had run 5Ks, 10Ks, and I grew up playing sports and yeah. was an athlete. But um, yeah, no, it definitely was, I wouldn't consider myself a serious runner. <laughs> and then now that I've tackled half marathons, full marathons, like I think I'm in that category. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was something new. Yeah, it was a new challenge. And I didn't really know if I could do it, but I was like, let me just see. I'll like try. And just the, I think there, I mean, during my treatment, especially, but like during that process of training to understanding the like, power of community is something that is a theme that I just carry through my life every day. And that's what I try to embody in my work as well. So I think that when I kind of think back to like, where, where did the sense of community and the power of it really start? And it was really when I, when I got sick and then, you know, in training through races over years um, and years after that and getting sick the second time. And yeah. so, yeah. so tell me about that when you got sick the second time, I mean, recurrence is such a scary thing for all of us like what was that like for you yeah <laughs> and oh. so soon afterwards mm -hmm. yeah so I didn't think it would come back uh it's not that common to relapse so in my mind I'm like boom I'm just training for half marathons mm -hmm. you know getting on out there back to normal life as much as I could now it's 24 at that point and uh yeah, I was so devastated to be really honest because I had felt like I like had fought the good fight and I was like, all right, it is behind me. And so it was really, uh, really devastating. And at that time, kind of crazy enough, I started working at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in the development department in fundraising and events. And um, I remember interviewing in my wig, like never told them I had been sick. Um, I wasn't treated there the first time I was treated yeah, there yeah, the second yeah. time. Um, they didn't take my insurance actually, the like at the time. Uh, so that's why I didn't go there the first time, but they had said the same treatment plan. So regardless, um, yeah. And I was three months into working there and like had to go into my boss's office and say, so, cause I'd interviewed in my wig and then like I started work, my hair was really growing back in. So I was like, well, I don't want to like start work with my wig and then like a month later, take it off. <laughs> yeah. And he would be like, what just happened? So I just decided that 
first day of work, I remember to just not wear my wig and be like, here's my little short bob. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was pretty, pretty wild. So from there, unfortunately, I had to leave work for six months. Well, did it come yeah. back the same cancer? It Hodgkin's was, yeah. Lymphoma? Yeah. Okay. So it was lymphoma again. And they don't really and the stage same spa it. or? Yeah. So same spot, um, neck, chest, under my arms. Oh, lots of spots. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so then what was your treatment process from then? Yeah. So I had two preconditioning chemotherapy treatments. Both were um, like three days in the hospital. So it was inpatient. And then from there, they did a scan to see like, okay, how was that treatment? How did that treatment do? Did it work? And the scan was looking good. So they felt like I could move forward with the stem cell collection. So I had my own stem cells collected, which took um, a few days. Sometimes it could take one day up to five days. So it's, it kind of just depends on how you collect and they are looking for a certain number. How do you collect? You get hooked up to a machine that okay. literally looks like Plinko, the game Plinko from <laughs> okay. The Price is Right. It's something like out of, I feel like a museum. And I was like, how is this doing what it's supposed to be doing? But I guess it is. And uh, yeah, so you just like get hooked up to a machine for like five, six hours. Wow. Yeah. And they're just like taking out the cells somehow. I don't know how, but yeah. it's like magic. And yeah, so that's what that looked like. And then from there, I had two weeks of radiation. Um, the second week started my inpatient stay, high dose chemotherapy, and then the stem cell transplant. Wow. So I was in the hospital for six weeks, um, uh, in isolation. And I mean, people could visit me, right. But I, I couldn't leave. And, uh, people who came, it was very limited visitors and they were in a mask and oh, wow. gown and, um, you know, hair cover. What am I thinking? I guess kind of a cap. You yeah, know? yeah, hair sure net. Yeah, 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 hair net kind of. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, so it was. It was hard. Wow. Okay, so you're 24 when this is happening, and you just had a recurrence already. And how did you stay positive, or did you stay positive, or did you mm -hmm. just like hate hate the world? Yeah, I did stay positive. I think in my mind, I just felt like there was no other way to be. Um, and I felt like it was important to just kind of stay in the present moment as much as I could, even though like the event planner me had like made a calendar and like sketched out like <laughs> when all the things would happen. And like, of course, nothing goes exactly to plan. And they try to like prep you for that. And but it was, uh, it was difficult. And I think surrounding myself with people who were my cheerleaders was a huge help. And, you know, not every day, you know, I wasn't positive every day to be really candid, right? I mean, there were days that um, were really, really difficult where I was just so upset and just like physically, mentally, I uh, was really worn down. And I mean, they kind of with the high dose chemotherapy, they essentially like bring you to the brink of death. I mean, your, your blood counts are zero. And then that's when they do the stem cell transplant to oh start gosh. like building you back up and you have a brand new immune system. So that, you know, recovery time is really intense. So it was not easy. I struggled with high fevers. I struggled with throat pain. I couldn't it literally hurt to swallow my own saliva. Um, so I, and I hated the taste of water, which was so sad because it's <sighs> the only thing I drink. And so I drank like watered down blue Gatorade, which I will never even look at <laughs> to this day. I was like, never again, but it got me through that. So I guess I got to like hail to the blue Gatorade, but, um, yeah. So it was something that I think just step by step, I, you know, just kind of rode the wave and tried to get out on the other side and, um, I think one thing worth mentioning is that connecting with people who had gone through the same 
uh, protocol that I had was very helpful because I met people that got out on the other side and yeah. I'm like, and there, there they are. So how did you, this was nine years ago. How yeah. did you, that was before Instagram. I know, how did right? you connect? <laughs> I mean, now everyone is connecting through Instagram. How did, how were you connecting with other sure through, through the hospital. Okay. So, um, it's actually a program that now I'm a part of. It's called the patient to patient, um, program, volunteer program. And so it's actually for patients and caregivers. And, uh, you get paired up with someone who's had a similar treatment to you and that they're there for support. And then also, uh, Sloan Kettering has a stem cell transplant orientation where a nurse practitioner will go through and then patients speak about their experience as well. So, hearing from them firsthand in that, you know, little conference room, you know, with, um, them kind of sharing what worked for them and, and, you know, what, what their time in the hospital was like was really helpful. It just made it tangible, made it real. And, uh, and then, yeah, getting that extra support with getting synced up with whether it be someone from my oncologist that recommended or through the program. So it was just kind of word of mouth. So it wasn't something that was like, thrown in my face of like, Oh, here, like, try this, try this, you know, it was something that really I had to seek out. And so for me now on the other side, I remember how helpful that was. Uh -huh. And so I've been a part of that program for eight years. And it's something that's just so meaningful, because I remember what it was like. And yeah. my hope is to like serve that for other people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah so amazing that you are able to do a full circle and help other people. I just, oh, that's awesome. So <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. Um, are you scared of recurrence again? Or? Yeah, you know, I don't think about it too much. Mm -hmm. I think for me, I just like live every day as it comes as much as I can. I mean, I'm certainly still a planner, but I feel like I've really tried to push past that fear. And yeah. I think that as each year has gone on and as more time has passed, that has definitely been helpful. I mean, I'm at a higher risk for breast cancer, so I'm in a breast surveillance program. And um, what is a breast surveillance program? Yeah. So it's at Sloan Kettering, the one that I'm in. And essentially I'm being watched. Um, having annual visits uh, with a starting um MRIs and mammograms earlier than one would. Yeah. Um, so just kind of being tracked. Yeah, yeah. That's good. <laughs> to make sure that uh, you know, we catch anything if anything happened earlier. So it's essentially just kind of like starting that process of, you know, MRIs, mammograms earlier than like a typical person would. Uh -huh. That's pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. And so um, how do, how does one get Hodgkin's lymphoma? Is it random? Like my breast cancer was completely random. It mm -hmm. didn't, it wasn't hereditary, didn't run in my family. What about for you? Is that? Sure. Yeah. They kind of don't really know. Unfortunately, there's sort of a couple like precursors that if you've had an, um, autoimmune deficiency or, um, what else? Like, I guess really kind of those are, that's like the main one. So whether you had maybe mono or Lyme's disease, and I had both of those. Okay. So that's one thing that they kind of know, but it's not, yeah, it's not necessarily genetic or they haven't really made any other strong ties or at least as far as I'm aware of. So yeah, yeah it was just kind of, I guess in a way, like luck of the draw, but I guess I do wonder, I'm like, well, if I didn't get Lyme's disease and, and I didn't get mono, what if I got it? You know, so I do sort of think of that, but 
I, you know, it's like it kind of is what it is. You can't really transport back in time, unfortunately. So why do you think, I mean, you've been out of it now for nine years. Why do you think that so many people, young people are getting it now? Yeah. You know, I mean, I guess I can't really speak to like the stats of, you know, what they were and what they are now. And then, you know, I guess you have to also think like our population has increased, you know, things like that. But, um, you know, that'd be interesting, I guess, to kind of look, look at that. I mean, I wonder if we're just talking about it more as well. So it may seem like more prevalent. Yeah. I mean, I think that we're connected as ever now, you know, it's really easy to, find something out in like about 0.2 seconds, (laughs) thanks to Google. (laughs) And yeah, and it definitely with social media, like the opportunity to connect with others. uh, I just think more the the shift of speaking about challenges and just life hurdles in general has really come to the forefront. And I think we're living in an exciting time where people are feeling more vulnerable, right? The We're living in the time of Brene Brown, who has like dedicated her time and life to researching vulnerability and what makes like people kind of um, open up and, and connect more. And so I think that people are really seeing tangible results when they do open up, you know, and talk a little bit more about things that are hard, which is not easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you, before you were diagnosed, were you already living, you were already like a fitness person? Well, yeah, not a professional though. Okay. Yeah. So you, you, after this, that's when you became like a professional, like you're a fitness instructor. Uh, that's yeah. what you do for a living. <laughs> <So> yes. <laughs> how was that like a conscious decision that you were like, I'm going to change anything like be to maintain my health or? Yeah, absolutely. So I definitely made a shift. I mean, I've been a vegetarian since I was 14. So in terms of my diet, I'd say it probably stayed like pretty similar, but definitely, I mean, again, like this idea of like this, such a shift in the food industry as well, and just becoming more aware of what we're putting in our bodies and things like that. So feeling really grateful for that shift in the last decade and learning more and more about what really fuels the body and mind. So, um, but in terms of movement, I mean, I had, you know, like I said, kind of hit the gym, would go out for a run, but after, um, it was about a year after my treatment, a friend of mine introduced me to core fusion bar classes at Exhale, And I just fell in love with the method. Um, I didn't really understand how people could hold a two minute plank, but it is possible. <laughs> <laughs> just practice <laughs> and gaining that strength right with that consistency. So it took time to, uh, for me to get that strength back. And I really just fell in love with getting my body strong and my teachers inspired me to become a teacher. So I was a student for about five years before I even really thought about teaching. I didn't come from a performing arts background or dance or, you know, fitness for that matter either. So it's just, you know, I was a counting major in college. <laughs> yay. Um, <laughs> I know no one, no one says yay after that, but <laughs> me, I ran for the Hills after an internship. I just like knew I wasn't going to be an auditor. Yeah. So I just, I ran away and hit the nonprofit field. But, um, anyway, that being said, I, 
really fell in love with it and wanted to try. So this was like four years ago now. And I just was like, I want to try Like, again, I feel like it just starts with a thought, anything that we want to do. It's like, and then you sort of like say it out loud, maybe talk with a friend about it and they start to research. And then, you know, you kind of go through these phases and, and that's really what it was for me. And so I went through um, a training really that anyone could actually sign up for with exhale. And then to teach at exhale, it's a total of 200 hours of training and you audition and sort of get accepted. So, um, I've been teaching there for, um, you know, since I've been trained and started my business, Chi Chi Life, uh, three and a half years ago. So I took that leap from full time to working for myself. Yeah. So I wake up every day unemployed. It's really amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so I think with that, you know, I just had this drive of really sharing my love of life with people and then trying to empower them to le- lead their best lives possible and, and really kind of being that role of a cheerleader for them. And it allowed me to translate my passion and zest for life into something a little bit more tangible rather than planning events for nonprofits where yes, there is like awareness happening, uh, funds being raised, which is incredible. And I still do that as part of my business. I still work as a fundraising and events consultant, but on a day to day, this allows me to actually like see the results. Like I actually get to see the people that I'm helping. I see them transform and they, and they tell me too, which is just really uh, meaningful. Yeah. So who are you helping? What type of people are you helping? Are you helping other cancer survivors or raise money for treatments or what? Mm, Yeah. So I do definitely teach, uh, teach cancer survivors. I'm working on getting a young adult program up and going at Sloan Kettering. I'm really hoping that planting the seeds for a bit. So we're trying to, I'm really trying to get that going because I think it's hard to know where to go when you're young and just kind of had had this really life altering health challenge. It's like, you know, it's like, where do I go? What do I do? And so I think if that, you know, they do offer fitness classes, but if there's something that's tailored to, you know, someone in their twenties, thirties that, um, you know, just be, I think a little bit more of a comfortable environment to be surrounded by people that are around your age. So that's my hope. But right now, yeah, I really teach it's, it ranges, you know, from, I'd say probably kind of late teens. So like people in their seventies, to be uh-huh. honest, I mean, I teach a low impact method. So, um, I teach it's and use your own body weight to create strength. So I teach bar, I teach Pilates, I teach on a machine and also map for that. And then I teach TRX, which, um, is the suspension trainer that, um, also uses your own body weight to create strength. So, um, yeah, I'd say it's kind of really a wide range yeah. and, and it's a blend. I mean, some people are brand new to finish, just trying to get back. Maybe they have had a health challenge, uh, that they've just gone through and sometimes they will share. So, you know, it's that sense of holding space for people mm-hmm. that is really meaningful for me. And, uh, you know, that's, is my, really my hope is to just help. Yeah. Help people. Well, yeah, that's such a great way to help people too, is, is getting them into fitness. Cause so important to be healthy and that fights off the cancer. Absolutely. (laughs) It does. It does. And I mean, and there's, uh, there's, you know, research being done that connects, um, you know, exercise to preventing cancer and also that it's great during your treatment as much as you can. Right. Obviously, like I know for me, I'm like, I was happy that I like left my bed and took a shower. So, (laughs) but you also worked out, you also were running throughout uh, treatment, weren't you? A bit, you know, I wouldn't say, I mean, I definitely wasn't running much, uh, especially when I was in actively in my treatment, like in those six months. So yeah, I would 
err on the side of like not much running yeah, during yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, during the first time I was treated, I definitely had more energy uh-huh. that I, you know, was able to get more exercise in. But the second time, like, I mean, it really, it just uh, knocked. Yeah, knocked, yeah. Like it was just like, hallelujah, I can get out of bed. That was sort yeah. of where I was at. So, but yeah, I mean, I would do laps in the hospital. Like once I was cleared to be able to leave the room, it's kind of right toward my en- end of my hospital stay. I would just do laps around the floor. Right. And that was like, a, that was sort of the like exciting uh-huh. adventure for the <laughs> yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. It was like doing laps, you know, in the morning and the afternoon and at night. So it just was you know, you have to just understand that it's, it's progress and it just takes time and yeah. it's, it's about that consistency. And that's what I think like is so ingrained in me from the experience of going through cancer that it just translates so well to fitness. It's like, right. Like it's not easy. Like I always say, like, I'm like, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Like, you know, you could, it could be very easy to see these experts. Like, I mean, listen, like, I don't think I'll ever have like an eight pack of abs because like, I like ice cream too much. And like, (laughs) that's just the way it is. And like, I don't, you know, nor do I have a desire to be like on the front cover of like a magazine where there's like no ounce of body fat. Like, I think for me, like my hope is to show people that it can look different, you know, and sometimes that can be hard for me as a fitness instructor in this space is like, okay, well, like i maybe don't have that like magical, amazing, perfect body. And it's just like, but I'm just like a regular human, like everyone else. And that's just trying to like do the best we can every day. So I think, you know, I try to bring that spirit to my teaching because that's all we can ask for is just trying to do our best every day. Yeah. Yeah. So physically you, um, after treatment, you got into fitness and stuff. How did you fix your emotional like Mm. how I mean after mine I was so emotional and I felt like like during treatment everyone's there and then you're better and then like everyone's still there I mean everyone Mm -hmm. still likes you but no one they're not calling every day to be like how are you so what was that like for you after going through it two times Yeah. So I think for me, it was that idea of trying to surround myself with people who just were like lovers of life. Uh And uh, there were times that were, you know, not easy. And I think even, yeah, post-treatment, uh, I was, I, I was in therapy, so that was helpful. (laughs) Yeah. So I would, yeah, I definitely, I saw a therapist once a week, um, for several years, that was like really, really helpful. I think just talking through, um, cancer, but also just like other issues, I think just as like a, you know, a 20 something year old human, um, navigating life and just really sparked my interest, I think for personal development as well. And just kind of figuring out how can we, you know, what's within our control that we're able to improve and kind of regulating emotions and things like that. So I think I learned, not, I think I, I know I learned a lot of great tools, uh, to just like help me navigate life's challenges. So I think that, you know, the therapy piece was key and really, like I said, con- connecting with other people that had gone through this to just have the sense that, you know, that you're not alone. I mean, um, you know, after a handful of years after I, trained for the New York City Marathon and that runs right past Memorial Sloan Kettering. And I ran with Fred's team, which is Memorial Sloan Kettering's program. And so with that, I was able to allocate my funds to any area of cancer research that I wanted. So that was really meaningful for me. So I think like I just really kind of just sort of poured myself into challenges like running for these races, surrounding myself with people that were very committed to these same goals and missions as I was. And so I think that, again, that sense of community is what really carried me through. Yeah. Well, yeah. And running by that hospital, like, how was that? That would, 
know. Yeah, it was, there's no words. It was phenomenal. They have uh, the team there actually, uh, at the the staff at Sloan Kettering actually bring brings down patients from the pediatric department. Oh, I know it's watch? like, yes. Oh. They're like down there and they're like wheelchairs and their IV bags. You just like melts your heart oh, and just wow. breaks it at the same yeah. time. <laughs> and uh, it's just phenomenal. And they have a giant balloon arch and there's a huge sign and everyone's cheering and it's just, there's nothing like it. So, uh-huh. I mean, in my family, that's where they were as well. And friends some friends, and it just was something I'll never forget. So meaningful, so powerful. Wow. Yeah. That sounds so yeah. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And so what, are you still running marathons? Not full marathons, yeah. but I, so I've done, I've ran two. Um, I was supposed to run when Sandy happened actually here. So it was canceled the New okay. York city marathon in 2012. So then I ran in 2013 and it's a lot on your body. Oh, you know, so hard. some bodies are just like made for it. Yeah. And I'm like, Nope, I don't think mine is. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, funny enough too. like, I look back, like I'm, I'm almost 20 pounds lighter than I was when I ran as well. So I wonder, I'm like, I feel like I would this would be easier, you know, just cause you're like lighter. I'm definitely like in better shape than I was like in terms of cross training and core strength yeah. and all that. And so it'd be interesting if I had wanted to try to do that now, but, um, I do still run half marathons. I ran one in Banff in Canada last summer. So it's something that I'm still like trying to integrate. I don't have any plans for one yet this year, but maybe in the fall. We'll see. I mean, I definitely want to keep it up a bit and I, I don't run as much as I used to. I will say that just with, um, you know, my teaching schedule and trying to get my own classes in and things like that. But I have started to go to a class where it's like half on the treadmill, half strength training. And it's like a great way to like get some of that running in. And yeah. um, I run in Central Park some morning. Oh, so cool. yeah, so I've been trying to integrate it more, especially with this, like the weather's so beautiful and I'm so up really pretty. early and I train someone right near the park. So I'm like, okay, just keep going. I'm like, run into the park. So that's, that's my new motto. I was like, try to get out there and run. So yeah, day by day. Yeah. So what is yeah. something that you wish that you could have told yourself at 23 and at 24 that you know now that like you wish you would have known in the hospital? Hmm. I think it would be that you're doing great and you'll get out on the other yeah. side and try to just stay in the present moment as much as possible. Like that was something that I really tried to keep telling myself. And it was really difficult when it just felt life was very much passing me by and being just out of college, like, you know, a year and a half, two years, it just was, uh, it was hard. So I think like, I would just keep reminding myself, that's what I would tell, tell little Lauren. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I would say. I would just say like, you'll, you'll get there girl and keep going, keep that strong spirit. And, um, you know, every, every day is such a gift. So I think, you know, for me, it's, I sort of have this phrase that I say of like squeezing the juice out of life. And I try to embody that every day. And, you know, not every day I wake up like feeling like magical and happy, (laughs) and you know, but I think that because I have this sense that I've been really given the second chance at life, that it's something that I just don't like, I'm like, even if there is like something challenging going on, I'm like, just so grateful every day. Yeah. Like I just, this, the sense of gratitude for me is, is very important. And it's something that even if there are these little like hurdles and hiccups during the day, I'm just like, okay, well like 
bring it back. <laughs> and I try to like ground myself of thinking of like, what's the bigger picture here? You know, yeah. if something's like really getting me annoyed and I try to just like zoom out and, um, it's really helpful for me. Um, so yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, everything that your body can do, run marathons, teach all those classes. That's just so amazing. Cause your body at 24 was in a hospital for six mm -hmm. months. I know. I know. And I mean, and I wonder if it's worth mentioning too, like I went through fertility preservation. Oh. So I had my eggs frozen when I was 24. I luckily, like they said, okay, you have time before treatment. Like yeah. you'll be okay. Like you can do it. So I have a bunch of eggs frozen <laughs> yeah. awesome. on the Upper East Side. They said in a freezer somewhere. <laughs> I do not know where, but the, hopefully they are safe. Um, I set them by check every month, every, every <laughs> quarter, that's for sure. So, <laughs> but uh, now actually, you know, and I think it is, kind of worth mentioning, uh, my husband and I are trying to start a family awesome. and yeah. And so we, so earlier, just a couple months ago, actually, like we did get pregnant, <gasps> but then we had something called an ectopic pregnancy where the embryo gets stuck in the fallopian tube and it's like, you have to have emergency surgery. Ooh. So that happened in May. Um, and it's July now. So we're kind of like getting over that. And, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that this challenge is still continue no matter what's going on. And, uh, you know, I think the good news is, is that I can get pregnant Yeah. and so we'll have to see kind of how that all unfolds, but, um, you know, feel grateful that we were able to get there and yeah. you know, hopeful that, that we will start a family. Someday. Yeah. Oh, I, that's amazing. Yeah. I know you will. That's yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. That was great to talk to you. Thank you, Lindsay. <laughs>